0: Hi, welcome to Jazz Avec Moi, the podcast where we will talk about everything from life, career, and entrepreneurship from a TCK perspective. My name is Michaela Moutoni and I will be your host. Hello, beautiful people. So for this week, I'm speaking with Mo from the More Sibel podcast. I met Mo online, actually, because we're part of the same podcasting group. And I was just like, wait, she does similar things to mine. She's been doing it for longer. So let me see what she's doing and if I can learn one thing or two from her, (laughs) true story. But turns out Mo is actually a very interesting person, of course. Uh, She's a professor of pharmacy. She does research, that professor life. She's learned how to speak Korean as an adult and is interested in everything Korean, Korean culture. And of course, she has her own podcast. So I'm really excited to sit with her today explore uh, her definition of cultural curiosity and learn on how she basically finds joy in the unexpected moment of life so tune in so hi Mo Um, thank you so much for being with me today I'm really excited to chat with you
1: thank you for having me
0: yeah, I like to start um, every show by having my guests introduce themselves, so please tell us, who is Motolani? So, um, first of
1: all, thank you so much for bringing me your show. Uh, I cannot wait to, um, you know, just share my story and also learn more about you as well. Yeah. Um, my name is Motolani, I go by Mo for short, mm-hmm. and I describe myself as an andronian born, us educated, Korean-speaking, wondering journey And I think those entities describe me to a perfect T. I grew up in Nigeria, Lagos, Nigeria, to be precise. Um, Spent the first two decades of my life there. And Mm. I moved to the U.S. um, 11 years ago. Sorry, in 2011. So you can probably add that up to find how old I can be. Uh, (laughs) And um, I'm also a pharmacist by profession. I don't practice anymore. I do more research now in a college and um, so I also have a podcast. Yes. And um, I'm very curious about, I call, I describe myself as a culturally, as a cultural curious person. Yes. Because I, I think that within explorations of culture, we can get to know, you know, about other people and we tend to separate what we think about countries from what we think about the people. Because people are people and countries are countries. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's my mission as a person to kind of have conversations going, even things that we don't agree with. I do believe in, you know, having open conversations about stuff. So that's mm-hmm. me. Um, I love people. I enjoy people to a certain extent before I get, you know, drained out and I have to go into my whole of um, self-exploration and wonder why I said something so I forgot to say that other thing, which might happen after this podcast, by the way. I feel like, dang <laughs> it, I, I didn't say that part or I overshared, you know. But that's It's just- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay.
0: We're here for the oversharing. And thank you. I was uh, on your podcast. Uh, I've I listened to like a few episodes and I was just looking Thank like you. you've had it for two, a little bit over two years, right? Yes, yes, yes. And you have over 80 episodes. 90, 93 actually. Oh episodes. my God. Got, <laughs> how did you do it? It's like you almost do really like a podcast every week. So let's every, say a year is 52 weeks. I think you have yeah. like 40, 44, 40. Five per year
1: yeah yeah and it's funny you mention it because i go on a creative break which i had to mandate yeah. from december to april so the okay. show doesn't we don't have any okay. episodes so imagine if i had episodes from december to april i probably have more than ninety or something oh my uh, god there's so many stories to tell actually another thing about True. me i'm a type triple a personality <laughs> yeah and when i want to do something i i obsess over it then because mm. i have quite an addictive personality. Mm-hmm. I don't do things in half measures, which you can see the good side and the bad side. <laughs> <laughs> I go all the way, I or, you, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, for me, podcasting was just an opportunity to, you know, talk to people that I'm inspired with and people that I don't necessarily agree with. Yeah. So even when you listen to my show, you can't even tell the ones I don't agree with because I still explore. I don't, We don't go on a shouting match. Yeah, i like, like, you know, you're wrong, you know. No, I still feel like, you know, from whatever angle anyone is telling a story, they come from a place of their limit, the, the limit of the understanding they have. And so I come with my own understanding and you come with your own understanding and see how we can improve our processes. So yes, I think there's so many people that I'm yet to talk to. Yeah. Hasn't just keep you know putting out new episodes that's why I have 93 episodes I would have more but I need to rest because I have to make myself to rest and focus on my you know my day job as well
0: yeah of course <laughs> no, it's so interesting I like yeah I like that like there are so many people to talk to right there are so many stories to tell so yes, like, and, yes. yeah there's yeah, we can and we learn every day like I I say it a lot that I do the podcast half for me. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like if nobody was listening, whatever, I'll still exactly. do it.
1: Because <laughs> when you're talking to your guests, you're like, wow, I didn't, I've learned a lot from my guests. Yeah, like,
0: exactly. They,
1: like, I feel like this made me even sound smarter on the show. And mm. as far as knowledge, like things I don't know, I'm like, wow. So yes, I totally agree with you.
0: And did, were you always um, this curious about people and such? Or did it start? when you moved to the U S
1: no, I've always been this way. Like I got in trouble a lot as a kid. I was that kid that would ask about things people didn't want to talk about, you know? And I grew up in Nigeria, which is, you know, for the lack of a better word, it wasn't a fun time to be female growing up in Nigeria. It's still not much, but you know, a lot of these um, patriarchal um, lines are slowly eroding with people now having, especially women having like, you know, voices and all of that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I knew the culture I had that I was immersed yeah. in. I mean, there's so many good things about my culture, you know, being Nigerian. But some things I realized that we just buried on that culture, you know, don't ask questions, yeah. just accept. I'm like, no, why is it that mm-hmm. way? Mm-hmm. So that's, I've always been that way. But I will credit the U.S. for giving me a voice. Mm-hmm. You know, when you move from a country like Nigeria to the U.S., that's why people like me, it's like, wow. I have found my mission, like, you know, I've found my people, i found, like, because the U.S. kind of gives you a voice. I know we haven't really, and, and I, I would say this knowing that we still have a long way to go yeah. in the U.S., but compared to where I was coming from, like Nigeria now, it's a lot better here. Not that we shouldn't stop improving upon it, but, you know, for me, I could see just the opportunities that were in the years for me to have a voice. Yeah. So if you listen to my podcast and you know that I'm Nigerian, you'd be like, Nigerian rather, you'd be like, how, how is she really Nigerian? Like, why is she talking about things like yeah? That?
0: Yeah. yeah. because, yeah. you
1: know, I've always had that curiosity, but then I really didn't know how to I mean I, w- I was vocal about some things, but I knew I couldn't. There was only so much was only so much farther I could go with them. But being in the US, I ha- I felt I found my voice and yeah, you know, and I'm taking that back to Nigeria as well and also encouraging people, you know, that in Nigeria, like you need to tell your story, like it's okay. And I wanna use myself as a model of, you know, openness and sharing processes and pieces of struggle and that is okay to, not to be okay at times or it's okay to you know go through this or go, go through that that kind of thing. yeah
0: i totally can relate to that rwandan culture is also very i like to call it conservative ultra, um, <laughs> like yeah, ultra yeah 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 ultra <laughs> ultra <laughs> yeah. conservative and you definitely don't talk about some things and and it's interesting you said cuz when you were talking about how your personality is very much like no i want to question this and i I, I want to talk about this. I can see it in your show. Like some of the topics that you talk about are very personal Thank and you. things that we don't normally talk about, you know? So I really comment your courage. Cause for me, it's like, I'm scared to talk about it. You know, it's like, I'm like, yeah, I would, <laughs> like, to. I would like to talk about some things, but it's like, it's like, I'm just so culturally used to not talking about it, you know? Uh, and, and it's the okay. Yeah. Of me, it's of like okay. going and like talking about it. I'm just like, oh my God. You know, no, it's okay. It's I didn't just
1: one day and be like, I want to talk about everything. Yeah, I had to slowly, slowly get rid of mine. Like, almost like at the expense of not being comfortable about some things, I've exactly. been able to find community for people and also for myself. And I know that cultural silence around some issues, they have not done anything to help us. And by mean, us, I mean like Africans and, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. you know,
1: and countries that are within those kind of, you know, de- them definition that we give. So I think knowing that we can, these, these are also margin of weaknesses we can improve on you sure. know and I knowing that little by little you build upon that and then you finally get to that place where you're like okay see how far we come but it's you know it's not something that's going to change overnight
0: yeah and then moments of really of vulnerability are the moments that people relate the most to. exactly right. exactly because that's real <laughs> life <laughs> Exactly. so um like i said
1: over sharing but this is just i mean if you listen to my episode you know let me give you a personal example yeah so i struck my husband and i you know we've had pregnancy losses yeah and being nigerian especially where you don't talk about things like that and my mom i remember when i told her she was like don't tell anybody don't tell anybody yet like have your kids before you talk about it but I'm like, there's nobody around me that I haven't heard this on a podcast episode about an Nigerian struggle because, you know, true. pregnancy losses is bad, no matter what language you speak. But then also another, there's also another um, additional layer of cultural, um, culture, culture that is you know on top of that that yeah. it's kind of hard for you to like process because there's a way we grieve, and there's a way we you're supposed to kind of quickly grieve over a like, pregnancy loss. But I'm like, no, it's not easy for me to forget. Like, i mean in yeah. pain somebody to talk to so i thought i'd release that episode it was december of 2018 mm. you have an idea, just the emails i was getting people i knew i mean i knew them i see them i mean they're my friends i see their photos on facebook they all look happy what they've been going through and i had no idea Yo, yeah. opening up they were able to like see that oh she's got it together but she's gone through that as well I'm not alone, and to me that just helped me a lot. Like, and even things that were never related to you know pregnancy loss. I had a friend tell me she had schizophrenia, and she's been struggling with that. And I was able to you know do an episode with her, help her raise money to get back on her medication. So things like that. And I'm like, wow. well, this is why we share her stories. Yeah. It's to help people set their own stories free. So I can do with just being uncomfortable. But there's a bigger mission out there that is beyond me, and that's what I want you know to always remind myself. I keep doing it. There's someone listening.
0: Yeah, for sure. And especially yeah. someone that we can relate to, right? Because yeah, like you are yeah, saying, yeah. let's say if it's the, whether it's the question of like pregnancy or like any other diseases or any other challenges that you might be having. Exactly. But I think it's human different. process. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Yeah, being human, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's easier when you can relate to the person and you're like, oh, we come from the same background or we've gone through the same challenges. Like, mm-hmm, it hits mm-hmm. a little bit different, you it know? It does. It does. Yeah, I agree so, with you. I agree with Oh you. my God. So tell mm-hmm. me, you came to the U.S. to study, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How was that? Like, how was that? I just <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Uh, I was
1: that? I mean, so I, always, I read a lot as a child. I don't read as much as I used to. Yeah. And so I knew a little bit about the world around me. And I knew that I wanted to travel the world. Yeah. And I wasn't going to end up being in Nigeria. Yeah, and I was hoping to just be in a place where I could travel the world. Yeah. So coming to the U.S., I had like a textbook knowledge. I think, mean, you know, we got a lot of U.S. Um, imported movies yeah, showing up all the stars. I had some favorite shows that I liked, you know, Friends, The Office and all of that. And so when I moved to the U.S., um, some of those things were still, you know, good as far as that, you know, people People are people. I always believe people are people. I, mm-hmm. I try to avoid, you know, stereotypes and generalizations.
0: Mm-hmm. So I've
1: met, you know, awesome people here and I've met, you know, not so awesome people. But, you know, you take what you can get from people and then you, you decide the ones that are worth keeping and the ones not, keep, not worth keeping. But so far, I think mm-hmm. the first thing for me was just the difference in the educational system. Whereas mm-hmm. I came from a country where, remember that, you know, no questioning stuff? Yeah. It still applied to our educational system. Where When you were in class in college, you weren't given a space to explore your ideas and also present your arguments in a way to kind of improve on the body of knowledge. It was like, no, whatever the professor said was what you had to like give back to them during the time. Mm -hmm. And so there was not a lot of space for like, you know, thinking and trying to create your own thought because I believe that as, and this is one of the things I refuse to do now, even now that I work as a professor in a college, I don't give my students like this is a fact like I mean there's some things that are principles but I I hand it over to them in such a way that I want them to improve on it
0: mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm.
1: and so when I came here I was I felt like the dumbest person in my class because I knew I was smart I knew I came here you know I had to write a GRE I had to write a TOHO I had to put my statement of purpose together, together I knew I was smart but in my classroom I didn't feel smart because it's probably when I, when my yeah. American counterparts opened their mouth and you're talking about stuff that was beyond what you read and like how are they doing it you know mm. cuz i focused on just what was provided to me like text materials but they did more than that they drew argument from all over from tv shows from what was happening in the news from historical context and i had nothing yeah i kept searching deep and deep and i was coming up you know short and so i had to sit with myself like first of all you need to empty yourself out like you don't know anything Mm. And then now how do you feel yourself back up so i started you know paying more attention i was curious you know I, I applied that same element of curiosity that i had with cultural stuff i started watching the news more um listening to the other side because a lot of what i did was you know health policy health economics so um learning more about you know other countries as well and trying to just see how you could build better arguments because in grad school one of, young, one of the ways you regretted was in addition to just you know being in class, you had to also discuss in class and also write papers. Yeah,
0: I know. Yeah,
1: <laughs> remember the first day I opened my mouth to say something in class, it ended up being um, a counter argument to what my professor had said. Oh, the Nigerian okay. in me, I was like, okay, I'm gonna be expelled today. <laughs> I am done. Like you are gonna call my parents, and I'm gonna be done. And I remember just going to my professor. I was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to argue with you in class. And he was like, Do you know I've been waiting for you to actually say something in class. I read your summaries. I know you're really smart, but I was hoping one day you were going to actually open your mouth and say something in class. We <laughs> had a fantastic argument. If you want to talk over me, over me with, over it with coffee with me, let me know. And I was like, what? Wow. Yeah. And that was the aha moment that I realized that. I had been, like the way they, I was taught in NGO was so different. Yeah. You know, whereas we, we pursue the theory and we're so good with the basic, you know, the first principle stuff. Our uh, professors really challenge us enough you know, to kind of, you know, um, go off on our own and explore on our own and find out, you know, how we can improve on our body of knowledge, which is one thing I credit the U.S. system for. As far as especially graduate education,
0: mm-hmm. I cannot talk
1: about you know any other aspect of it because I didn't experience that.
0: But yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's true. Huh? Like it's true. I remember even myself. I did my undergrad in Canada. Okay. And my my, my masters in the U.S. as well. And it's true. There is a big difference that even in the classroom, yeah, like people are just talking. And that's something I learned and I told my little sister. I have a younger sister who's seven years younger than me. She started her undergrad when I was already done with mine. But one thing I wish I had done looking back is really taken up the professors and their offers of uh, let's go for coffee, you know, come see me in my office and Mm -hmm. talk to me and stuff like that. Because for me, like I was just always so intimidated because mm. there's always that hierarchy, right? Of, oh, you're the professor, exactly. you're, you're the, the professor, all, you're do the I almighty. I know? Yes, yes,
1: exactly, exactly. And the way they taught us in Nigeria, and I'm being generalistic in my statement, I know that. But yeah. this, these are not like, you know, they're not far-fetched statements to make. It was fear-based mm. learning. You know, they would brag those orders at you, and the notes were just the same. I would borrow notes from my seniors, and it was still the same thing the professors, for the most part, would be regurgitating. So, you didn't really be, need to be in class. You could yeah. just from the previous year and, and that was it. So, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you.
0: <laughs> and did you always uh, want to be a professor as well? Like, how did that come about? Oh,
1: God, no. I, I have one of those career paths that if anybody were to be modeling me and be like, they want to be like me, I'd be like, why? <laughs> no. <laughs> but, uh, no. Tell me more. <laughs> no. I, I'm a can do person and the uh, the good side about that is you can do most things but the bad side of that is that you cannot do all things yeah and um so when okay so i knew i wanted to be a pharmacist and so that path was easy you know very structured yeah you go to pharmacy school you get your degree and then after pharmacy school i knew i didn't want to do like um what do they call it, like medical rep, rep like people that kind of sell drugs. So like, when you go, when you go sell the, yeah. When yeah, you that kind of thing. and start trying yeah. to argue why did you buy your drugs? I knew I wasn't going to do that
0: because
1: mm-hmm. I'm not a good salesperson. especially something I haven't used before. So good luck trying to make me sell something I don't know anything about. Um, So I, I opted to, I worked for uh, Chevron for a bit uh, as yeah. a medical, like in their clinical pharmacy. Setting, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and then
1: um, from there I transitioned to one of the Harvard School of Public Health HIV clinics in Nigeria. Yeah, um, it's called PEPFAR clinic. So there I provided care in as a HIV consultant pharmacist to help with nice. HIV and tobacco mm-hmm. And but before I left school, pharmacy school, I remember it was my fourth year in pharmacy school, and one of my professors, Professor Dada, she looked at me and said, "You have to go get your PhD, girl." And I'm like,
0: "Oh." <laughs> you know,
1: because I see those first grad students, you know, just walking like zombies you know, <laughs> <laughs> on our corridors. And they didn't look like they had a life. And this yeah. was a country where you could end up bagging a PhD like in 20 years. Like it took maybe 10 to 20 years to bag one. And I really <laughs> didn't want that to be my life. So I, I, I swiftly rejected it and I thought nothing about it. But um, <laughs> I was in, so while I was working on my, uh, so I moved from Chevron to, you know, um, um, HIV at that HIV clinic, which yeah. was totally different. Whereas in Chevron, the patients were very entitled and, you know, they didn't have to pay for it. They got that as one of their benefits for being um, um, staff and um, employees of Chevron. But with HIV clinic, with the HIV clinic, it was a free clinic. So the, the drugs were provided by then under, you know, U.S. Um, President's Bush authority, mm-hmm. they started the uh, PEFA clinic. So those drugs were provided kind of to reduce the spread of HIV in Africa. Yeah. So all they had to do was to travel and just come pick up the drugs. So you had patients traveling from, you know, five hours, six hours. They were getting on the morning bus to come pick up their drugs in the clinic. Wow. So you could always see that it was there was a different breed of patients you were working with. I really got to understand. Uh, but then I was kind of fresh out of school because it was like two, three years after school. And I remember just being that arrogant pharmacist where I was, you know, super smart, but I, I knew almost nothing about patient behavior. Like I didn't know. I mean, school had taught me a lot about what the drugs did to the body and what the body did to the drugs, but not enough about learning why patients didn't take their medications,
0: mm. you know.
1: And it was most important because in HIV, if you're not at least, if you're not more than 90% adherent to your medications, meaning 9 out of 10 times taking those medications, your viral load, which is like the virus spreading, mm-hmm. was going go high and then your CD4, which is a measure for your immunity, was gonna go down. And you could see that. So every time a patient comes into the clinic every three or six months, we have them do their labs and then the pharmacy was like the last point. And so we could tell a patient couldn't lie to us. If they really, you asked mm-hmm. you would know if they took it we or would not because the blood never lies. And yeah. you see patients who knew the gravity of their situation. They knew HIV was gonna kill them, but then couldn't they weren't able to take their medications and that really frustrated me because I'm like, it's just easy. Open your mouth and just, just take, take them it. Yeah. But, you know, I really didn't understand, number one. This was way before they had the um HAIRT, which was the highly active antiretroviral drugs, where they could do, like, combination pills these days. Then it was single pills, so you could have patients taking, like, cocktails of medication, like, 10 or 12. Mm. And these drugs had, like, serious side effects. Some of them, mm-hmm. it made them sleepy. So imagine a, a police officer sleeping on duty. Yeah, Some of them, gave them, like, you know, rashes that was so visible, And this was also when, you know, the stigma of HIV was at a very peak in my country. So there's a lot of stigma associated with it. So if you had a rash, like, you know, that was just so visible in your face, people could suspect you had HIV. So I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't think that was going to be problematic enough for the patient because I didn't know so much about patient behavior. Yeah. And so I thought to myself, oh my gosh, you suck. You know, you need more skills. You need, you know, to understand why. And, you know, we had some patients just die because they they really couldn't. They tried, they couldn't. You know. You know just that frustration actually drove me to grad school to kind of learn more about um patient behavior and you know um as the social and economic aspects of adherence that was the first um, paper i did while i was in school so um uh, yeah so that was what drove me to pharmacy school now when i got to grad school rather so after my degree i actually before i i graduated from my phd program I realized that, okay, what do I want to do? Do I want to go into academia or consult? While I was in grad school, I interned with a biotech firm in Boston, and it was one of the best, you know, professional experiences of my life then. yeah, And I had not seen the idea of being, uh, working in big pharma, and we were working on rare diseases, trying to accelerate drug development for patients that otherwise wouldn't have any way to treat their medical conditions because these are diseases that are very few in numbers as far as, you know, the prevalence and all that and so what I did because I was so confused and in in, in grad school when you're doing a PhD your dissertation determines where you're going to end up mm. and so it's a way you yeah there are some topics you select or the way your methodology your level of expertise depending on where you're going to end up yeah so because I was so confused I turned my dissertation in such a way that I could sell it to anybody <laughs> <laughs> so i would go for i had like a couple of interviews so when i went for i went for um the farmer interview they were like wow this is such an interesting topic i can see why academia will like this why are you even applying to big farmer again uh-huh. And tell them something really nice and so serious and and it was truthful i wasn't lying yeah you know why i was considering them over academia and then in the same mouth, <laughs> with the same mouth, I'll go for my academia. I had one academia interview and they asked me, I can see why this might be suited for Big Pharma. Why are you applying to be a professor again? And then I'll find ways to say, you know what for me is acquisition of knowledge. And, yeah. you know, it would, I, would, I just want to have that independence of in freedom, my freedom in um in conducting research, so I just had different ways of just selling my uh, myself,
0: of course. But yeah, you, but
1: it's good you kept the doors open, right? I did. did, I did. And me guess what happened? I got oh. two offers. What? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I thought you could see right just my confusion, but I did I a terrific job. I was so proud of myself. Yeah,
0: of course. It's great, but they didn't make the choice for you. Did, it's like, you did have to choose. I you know? had to choose. So I got
1: one in pharma and I got one in um, academia. And it was like, what the heck? And I started running up and down like a lab rat. I called everybody that I knew loved me. My mentor, my mentor's mentors. Yeah, Everyone had, you know, one opinion or the other. And, you know, people care about you and they see, some of them depend on how they know you. They can see certain things, just they can all tend to see it in certain ways.
0: Yes. So I had
1: mixed reviews. You know, of course, there was some people that said, you know, go for the farmer. It's really nice. You know, you can do this and that. Others was like, no, go for the academia. I was like, all right, I need to make a decision. Mm-hmm. But there was something someone told me. And just in case anyone is listening to this, that might fall under that category. I was like, you know what? Whatever you choose, you're going to be fine.
0: Because mm.
1: if you end up changing your mind, guess what? at least you know that you have a shot at the other one. You can always go back and reapply again, you know? And so I just realized that it wasn't the end of the world. That's so, so true. It's yeah. so true. Like you can yeah. always change your career path. And another thing was, what, what's very important to you? I mean, if I were to be in Big Pharma today, I would still do great things. Yeah. But for me, it boiled down to independence of research, which I think academia affords to give that to you. Yeah. So I'm building my research lab. I'm, I'm exploring what matters to me. And I'm not constrained by, because if you worked for a company, you're only, you're constrained by whatever asset they have,
0: you know? Of course, yeah. You,
1: so whatever drugs they currently have in their portfolio, that's all you're going to be focusing on. A drug can't be working on multiple sclerosis and you tell them, okay, actually I'm interested in HIV. You got the money to fund the clinical trials? No, I don't think so. Yeah. So that was what it brought out to me. And also my love for teaching. I do really enjoy teaching, especially graduate students, because I like to see that spark in their, um in your eyes when they finally get a concept yeah or we're just having um, discussions in class you know that's one of my highlights you yeah. know as far as um
0: a higher education a educator yeah so that's a long-winded way of answering your question. no that's <laughs> awesome you know one one thing I do appreciate um about graduate school and I think yeah. that's probably what you see from the professor's perspective is that mm. when you go to graduate school you're choosing to go that's it so (laughs) so nobody forced you this is not undergrad that you need to do to have a like a decent job you know what I mean yes so people usually that have chosen to put themselves through this process again you know they are a bit more dedicated and like really interested in the topic or at least they they want to explore it so I really I agree enjoyed with the graduate experience.
1: It was very I, I agree with you. My favorite kind of graduate students are those that they come back after getting like, some work experience. Yes. We know that it wasn't because of the money. If anything, they are taking a pay cut to come back to school. And yeah. I know that I don't like all, all the kind of grad students. Just my favorite ones are the ones that decided to come back.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Come another, yeah.
0: yeah. So you like the, when they get it, like the spark. What do you not like or what's hard? <sighs>
1: I hope my boss doesn't listen to this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, even if he
1: does, like, you know, it's so, if you work in a school, there's some policies and rules that you have to just follow because it makes everything nice. But I find out that sometimes it's kind of curbs the creativity.
0: Mm, so like, you know,
1: um, I talked about, Teach, prefer to teach graduate students. Now, I also teach professionals from these students. So, from these kind of like the, what you call like the bachelor of pharmacy, but they're professional because you know they have a doctorate degree. Mm-hmm. And you have to teach to the objectives, and you know there's a way you have to like set the questions and usually multiple choice, and then you have to run statistics on you know the the discriminant, um, the basically the correlation between those those that got it right, those that didn't get it right, getting to get it right. Is it's a poor performing questions. There's so many like, as like as some things that you have to yeah, it's just to for me, it takes away the joy of teaching yeah, we, we sure. have to do, and I do see the importance, but you can imagine how for someone that I just want to get going, I find sometimes it hampers you know yeah. the way I teach, but that's just about it, and sometimes you know I haven't had a lot of bad experience with students, but I do know colleagues that have had you know really, really horrible experiences with students, especially when it comes to evaluations. Sometimes under the guise of being anonymous, students really say some really, really mean things. I'm mm. like, how, how am I supposed to? Like, one of my friends had a student call her B, the B word, the rhymes with witch. And it's like, how would you dare call your professor that? Wow, like, that's crazy. Is there something constructive in that? You know, no. I would like for you, and I have, I've gotten feedback to improve on some of my teaching methods, which I like you know, hearing from students, like giving me some really constructive remarks. So I don't think I'm all that fantastic when it comes to teaching because I'm still growing and learning. I'd like for you to tell me what I can do better, but when you put words like you know the B word now, that wasn't addressed to me, or maybe just something that doesn't even really help because it's anonymous. Like, like really? Also, those are some of the things that I know because I have friends that we talk about this stuff. as um, course, as females, as, as uh, females that are not from here, like black females in you know, academia, talking mm. about just our path. A lot of them go through a lot, and you find out that there's little discourse can do it because. It seems like sometimes the balance of power is tilted towards the kid, and you hear kids sometimes tell their professors, "After I pay your salary, like I've had oh my, my friend God. tell me that they've heard that, yeah, like I, after, afterwards I pay your salary, like it, it's just the Nigerian in me just wants to like you know <laughs> spank them or just do something, but you know you gotta keep your hands to yourself, so of course, problem." <laughs> <laughs> Or I like kiss the mouth, but you can't even do that. So like, you know, just catch me outside. I'm going to remove this white <laughs> coat and, you know, spank you. or Just catch me outside.
0: in the parking
1: lot.
0: Oh my God. So let's talk a little bit about that, about being a Black woman in, um, in academia. Because yeah. you're not a lot, you know. No, not many. I work in tech where we're not a lot either. Do you think that or do you feel like, do they have initiatives to help improve diversity in academia? Like, does that work? Or is it basically, dude, you just got to do what you got to do, figure it out?
1: First, um, I, I, I've always struggled with the word diversity in the sense Me too! That
0: okay, that. go on. <laughs> it
1: says that um, I don't think it should just be like a talking of color. I think it should be like a talking of, of opinions and expertise.
0: Yeah, that's true
1: like we shouldn't just plug a hole because it doesn't have the other color from the rainbow, you know? Mm-hmm. And so as far as being the only black person, now would I want there to be another black person in my department? Because I'm also, there's another black person in my department and I hate having to see ourselves through colors, but she's more clinical and I'm not clinical. Like I said, I don't practice pharmacy anymore. Yeah. Um. But, you know, we have different paths and we hardly interact, except when we have like, you know, meetings and all of that. But as far as my own, like, you know, my line of job and all that, there's no one else like me. And I think it might help to kind of see some of the, because there's some things that happen at work that I'm like, is this person just being, you know, silly? Or is it just they can't even just talk to me because they think I'm one angry black person, Mm. you know? And if you know me, you know that I'm like the last person to ever talk through the prism of race. Because uh, one thing about being Nigerian is we don't see ourselves as black people, even anything, we just see ourselves as Nigerians, period. And Nigerians yeah. are one of the hardest people you'll find on earth because that nationality of being Nigerian, it means a lot to us. Yeah. So um, I think that – so I work in Oklahoma, by the way, and if you know anything about Oklahoma, it ain't quite a diverse state. Mm. Um, so um, good luck to try to find diverse people. But I think a lot of argument has to be made to at least um, have some things in place that might encourage – People from different places, walks of life, um, people from that have different expertise and um, all of that skills to be able to find it. Like you built a culture that shows that you're welcoming. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Because it's not, I don't think it's only something that applies to blacks. I think even Asians, we can even talk about that, or Hispanics as well. You know, and Oklahoma, yeah. like I said, isn't quite diverse in those areas, so it's like we want to be genuinely like you're creating programs that can actually help to include those kind of people. I think that kind of says more about a cultural place. I don't know if I answered your question. I feel like I really
0: didn't.: No, you did, no, you <laughs> did. I can relate to it to some of it. Um, I think that <laughs> this is reminding me of you saying that you agree and you don't agree with some things. <laughs> Um, When I first started moving, I also didn't identify, I guess, as black. Like, I didn't think I was black because obviously I had always been Rwandan. Exactly. And um, (laughs) yeah, and then when you leave, yeah, when you leave your country, like when you leave Nigeria or like when we left Rwanda, yeah, I was Rwandan. I didn't know that I was black until Mm -hmm. I lived in a country where I was black, you know. Mm -hmm. But then I do find it also, you can't really dissociate from that either because it's like well, society imposes it on you. Like society doesn't really care. Like the culture that we live in, they don't really care that you're Nigerian for, sure. you're, for most people you're Black, right? And so I think that comes with its own like set of consequences, I guess, or like its own set of reality, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think over the... I left Rwanda in 2002, so that's almost like oh my gosh, 18 years. 18 years, yeah. Wow, years.
1: your your experience is old enough to, to vote,
0: actually. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and then I lived in Germany, and then in Canada, and the US, and Senegal as well. But okay, I need to know about yours. But we'll talk about yours when we you talk about because tomorrow. I- <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah. So going through that we're black you know what I mean and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. become as an as a a result of that I've become very pro-black pro-African pro pro, but very like pro-black as well yes yes so so I so I can but I can understand what you're saying um and then I do also uh, respect the whole I guess diversity of thought because for example I'm on a new team where I am the only woman, actually, I'm the only Black woman, but I mean, it's a mm-hmm. small team. We're five mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. but it's very diverse team. I work with a French guy, with a Chinese guy, mm-hmm. with a Turkish guy, and an American. And so, but just the fact that they're diverse, we're just different countries, and mm-hmm. where they are all over the world, that's already been very positive on my mental health, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because I know First of all, we all have different accents on our phone calls, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like we're all like, yeah, like we just see life differently. We all immediately kind of accept that the world is global and we think about like I'm part of a global team. So we're looking at it from a global perspective. So Mm -hmm. that's already just been a relief in itself from just, let's say, being like a team of just Canadian people from Montreal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I can relate to that as well. Yeah, it's it's nice to already have different people, even if let's say sometimes they might not be Black people, but at least some differences, you know? I totally
1: understand. And I agree with you. And I think you said something that I forgot to mention. When you said you were pro-Black, I swiftly realized, because I had to go through that moment of identity crisis when I moved here, like, yes but i'm nigerian i'm not black you know because you know i don't know how it was for you in rwanda but in nigeria growing up a lot of what we saw in the movies which was a lot for a lot of us to get way to knowing more about american culture whatever that was was through the movies and then you always saw the black person being depicted in a certain way so i had you know just this bias i had this image about what a black person was like and Mm -hmm. it wasn't always positive so to be Considered black, it was like no, I'm not. Like I'm probably African, you know. No, no, it felt very offensive for someone to call me black. But I swiftly realized that for us to be able to come here and be a part of like just enjoying the goodness and the bounty of this bounty of this country, people had to pay for that. Yeah, and so I honor them because I I don't know I, my 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 forefathers were never you know enslaved, and. We've never had to go through a lot of the injustice you see here, like you know, even the racial inequalities, and and so for us to come here and coming into grad school was a was a different path for me because that's a path of privilege. Yeah, and living in school without having to own anything in student loans or anything in student loans loans that's another privilege I had. So I cannot say I cannot turn a blind eye, blind eye to all of that. Be like, oh well. <laughs> I can't be black. No, like I have to acknowledge that. Okay, I come. I'm coming from a place of privilege right now, and yeah. so for me, I feel like as Africans, especially, we need to be more in solidarity with you know African Americans or black American, blacks that are here, like yeah, like sure. that are here. I don't know the right term, maybe African Americans, Caribbean Americans, but those that identify as black, because I feel like there's so many things we can learn and teach each other. Yeah. And, but then maintaining this distance of you no, know, they are there and we are here, like. It hasn't been helping because a classic example is a couple are to stop you. He's not going to care if you're from they Africa. They don't care. Yeah. You know, you're black, so you might as well start understanding more. So I've learned to listen more and, you know, just hear, you know, from them as far as, as what their history means to them and why some things are done the way they are done and why, because I really couldn't understand why everybody was too hung up on slavery. That was just my yeah. mentality. Like just get over it. But it's not as easy as just saying, get over it, you know, cause history is bound to repeat itself in so many ways. And and so for me, yeah. And this is just a shout out to all my African friends here. It's like, start having those conversations. yeah, so We definitely. can help, you know, African Americans here have that sense of home. You know, I've talked about this on my, in my show a lot. Like we need to tell them about Africa so they can also find ways to visit. And I will encourage my African American friends to go to their ancestry, find out where you're from. As a matter of fact, one of my friends went and I found out he was from Ivory Coast. And guess what? He goes there every year, ha- apply for a citizenship. Got it. That's so cool. Ivory Coast. Yeah. So we can model that because some, a lot of them, they don't find, they don't have home. Like home is, they, they know their skin tells them a different story, which I think we Africans, we can help. Because I know I could pull up my village in, on Google Calendar and Google Maps and, you know, pinpoint one of my villages in yeah. Africa. A lot yeah. of them don't have that luxury. And I feel like we can definitely exchange the best practices and together, I think it's going to help the continent. So yeah, that's, that's all I want to say.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's for sure. No, it's true. We have to unlearn a lot of things. I definitely agree with you. Yeah, yeah. we have to unlearn a lot of things and, and we have to learn a lot of new things as well just to understand the context in which we live in and I guess its weight, right? And, and then yes. identify yes. like what our part can be, what we can, yeah, what, we, what we can do. Yes, definitely, definitely. Yeah, for sure. So now mm-hmm. tell me another thing I'm very curious about is your love for Korean culture. Whoa, that should be like and, a And funny. then also, so that, okay, so answer that. And then after that, I, I think that leads to why your podcast is for Blacks and Asians. I thought oh, that was also. And in, those who love them. <laughs> yeah, and those who love them. Which <laughs>
1: is like everybody painted. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Korea. In Nigeria, I we heard about Korea maybe like twice or three times. Maybe through their TVs, because they used to have this, um, I forget the brand. It was a Korean TV brand we, we had then. And, of course, LG came into the market a lot. There was a time, there was a time in the, um, I think, early 2000s up until 20, 2011,
0: mm-hmm. LG was
1: the rage. You know, LG TVs, LG fridges, LG that and that. And so I had it up. I'm like, what, what is this country? Yeah. And fast forward to grad school, I had um a colleague, shout out to Jan Hyun, And we took um, some classes together in psych for statistics, and during one of the classes, because I, I mean, I missed some parts. You know how you kind of like, hey, can I borrow your note after class, kind of filling the gaps that I missed? Yeah. And she gives me her note and scribbled somewhere on top was some things that looked like circles and, and sticks. I'm like, what the heck is that? She's like, that's my language. I'm like. Is that how you guys write? Like, what does that mean? Can you read that? She's like, yeah, it's, it's, I, I understand And This is how we write. I was like, huh. And I thought to myself, what a weird language. Mm-hmm. And fast forward to three years after, remember I said I had that um, internship in a biotech company in Boston. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we both got the internship and, um, which is kind of good because, you know, many uh, other schools, uh, people from other schools apply for it, but it just both of because I got that internship. Mm. We went to Boston, we'd say, okay, why not just let's live together? Because the cost of living was going to be very expensive. Yeah. And so the same program was just going to be nice to stay together. So we did. We had an apartment in JFK, UMass. And she had this rice cooker that would speak to you in Korean. That's great. When back from work, there was hot rice waiting for her. And she would put this rice on the table, set up the table, you know, ever so elaborately. Er, er, elaborately and it had, like, different side dishes. And I'm like, wait, what? Let's eat rice every day. She's like, yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like as Nigerian, you know, we, we eat rice every day, but we eat it in such a way that it makes you feel guilty. <laughs> Almost like you have to like say hello, Mary, every time you take a spoon of rice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but here you were. This was, you know, you know, you've seen a, a lot of Koreans, and I, and I'm. This is like the wrong way to say, it, but they're not very chunky. Like they eat rice a lot, but they don't grow fat.
0: Yeah, and
1: and uh, here I am, you know, struggling with my weight. I'm like, okay, no, I need to know more about your culture, and that's how I started, isn't into it. And so she would tell me about the food, and I noticed that for them, they kind of flipped the pyramid. Whereas in Nigeria, we ate rice like in bowls. Yeah, you know, in top top foods of them, they had like little. The rice was the side dish; it was never a main dish for them. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so that kind of got me thinking, like, huh. So that was one, and then two, we we'll talk about our family and our parents, and I realized that her mom and my mom were so similar, almost like. They were like lost sisters somewhere, oh. and so uh, like we talked about the quirks our parents had, and I realized, huh, we're well, so alike. We just speak different languages, mm-hmm. and um, and then she introduced me to um, Korean drama, which if anyone is up, uh, to it, it's about getting into it. Do not, you know, six years later, and I'm still. <laughs> Watching them, and um, so and I realized that wow, your culture is similar to mine. So mm-hmm. you know, they have that love for their families, they're very respectful, which you know, as a Nigerian, that's pretty really big. Yeah, and have this national pride like Koreans are so proud of their country. Yeah, nauseating uh, way for those that don't understand the histor- history and just how much oppression they've had to go through when they were ruled by Imperial Japan. Mm-hmm. and also just celebrate through food food was very central to food is very central to korean culture like just celebrate through food into music and you know dance which is oh, a yes. couple of things that were similar to my culture yeah and so that was it then um but i I wasn't interested in learning the language then because i was like ah, no it never even crossed my mind because i wasn't just gonna do that um but i i used to speak french a lot like mm-hmm. when i was younger but then i lost all of that because i wasn't really interested in french culture and i know you you speak french so this might come like a little bit, you know, rubbing off on the wrong side. <laughs> no, no, I, right? really, I didn't have a, an interest in French culture. I didn't care about the people. It was just a language that was offered in school. And I just yeah. saw that through university. But that was it. Once I stopped speaking it, I just lost it. And I could mm-hmm. read it. but You know, that's just about it. But remember that I had all of those informal Korean cultural lessons through my room. but yeah. And it didn't just materialize at a particular point almost like three years later. I was waiting to switch out my visa because I was on a student visa to a work visa. So I had to be three months away from, I couldn't work for three, do anything for three months. So my mm-hmm. visa was, you know, changed and I could start working. Yeah. I remember going to bed that night. Um, I have this Coursera. Um, uh, I don't know if you know about it. Coursera is like a,
0: like Oh, where app. you learn take courses. Where you learn stuff.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I had taken some courses related to me, negotiation and, you know, data management some while back. And I got this email on my way to bed. I said, you know, Courses recommended for you, learn like Korean 101. And I thought, oh, losers, who learns the language? Oh, no. <laughs> Go to a real school like a real person, you, you, you know. And, but I was like, ah, oh, Korean, huh, okay. So I clicked on it. Remember, I was about going to bed. Yeah. And I, you know, say, uh, my phone, I can't say very well. Let me just, you know, prop up on my laptop. So I opened my laptop. And I'm not kidding, one hour later, I had mastered the alphabet no and way. yeah i remember going to bed i've never been able to recreate that moment ever again i felt like a little kid that christmas came too early for like i was so excited like a new world of magic had opened yeah, so now yeah. because i woke up the next day i was like wait what happened last night can i really, really read korean so i opened my korean book and i could read the words again i was like <gasps> You know That's I mean, I didn't know what the words meant by the way, you know, yeah. I could sound them phonetically, I could identify the characters and and that was it for me. and like I said, in the beginning, when I get obsessed about something, I go all the way six, three, six months into that, I knocked off all the basic you know um basic Korean, like I could carry on conversations, what you call like a fifth grade fifth grade level, sorry, kindergarten level. And because I learned by myself, I could only do more like inputs. When you think about language learning, there's input and output.
0: Yeah.
1: So I could only do things that you know, like for example, I could I was good at listening. And yeah. I was good at writing, but I wasn't good at speaking. Yeah. And course. I wasn't good at you know writing effectively. And so when I was talking to Koreans, I had to think about the words how they would look like on my book before saying them. But nobody, you, you can't have conversations like like that yeah. in real life. So I realized that, you know, I need to go to language school. So oh, I started wow. going um, every Wednesday and I've been doing that for about three years now. And now I, I'm i I'm in the, what you call like an upper intermediate level, mm-hmm. and um, and which is one of the hardest because, the, excuse me, the intermediate level is really where it feels like you're in the thick of things. And that's when a lot of people give up because it's like, there's a lot coming at you.
0: Yeah, of course. So
1: don't give up, don't give up because you you've, you've mastered a lot in the beginners level this is a time to like apply them and for me because I learn a lot when I teach I also teach Korean I do I teach Korean in my language school I teach the basic class so that kind of helps me to Oh that's a my good language. way to practice exactly mm-hmm. exactly and there's always a shock of awe that I have when I meet Koreans for the first time and I you know speak their language and they look at me like <laughs> How is she able to do that? I always yeah. loved out those moments. So yeah, that's the language for me. It's, and beyond the language, I'm also very much interested in your culture. So I've written a lot about um, the economic development of Korea. I wrote a blog about that on Medium. And mm. I think it's been read more than 6,000 times. Oh. I actually get a lot of, I get like maybe five bucks every month as a royalty check in the mail through Medium because people keep reading the article. So I just talked about some of the things I noticed as far as learning about the Korean economy and the history and what Nigeria can learn from it as far as good governance, prioritizing education. And so, yeah, and um, I have Korean families now. As a matter of fact, I'll be going to Korea for the first time this summer.
0: Yeah, that was my next question. Like, yes. have you gone or when are you <laughs> no, going? Not yet. It's not yet.
1: I bought my ticket already. Oh, I told awesome. you, yes. And I'll be going in the summer, and hopefully by then, Corona will be like. Uh, a thing of the past. So yeah, uh, yeah I have no, kids there, yeah. I have family there. When I say kids, like students that I volunteered with here, like I have a school that I volunteer with international students. So yeah, I'm
0: I'm looking forward to reuniting with all of them. So yeah, my God, so exciting! Um, and Me you're too. starting like uh, the cooking thing, right, with your Korean yes. friend or your co- Korean? Yes,
1: friend. yes, yes. I find a lot my friends because you know, so like, I, there's a way I approach culture like, I don't come to a culture, a new culture, like, I know things, no, I want to explore, and I know that food is just one way, because we all eat, right, to a degree, one degree, we all like food, Mm -hmm. and so I want to give people an opportunity, especially people like me, for you to be able to enter a Korean restaurant and, and be able to order something without feeling like you're being fake about it. Yeah. I had to struggle a lot when I was learning Korean, like, how could I explain to people that, you know, I like Korean, like, you're Black, you're Nigerian, like, you haven't even learned all the languages in Nigeria. You haven't finished learning French. Mm. Spanish is just, you know, next door, and you're going to Korea. So you're going to learn Korean, rather. So I've struggled with that feeling of just being like a fake. But I really credit my Korean friends and uh, my Korean families for just being, they do like, you know what? We see that you're genuine. We see that you really love our country. You actually love Korea more than we love Korea. <laughs> so you helped me a lot. You know, they gave me a Korean name. As a matter of wow. fact, I'm Sylvia, who was in my video, and I said, Yeah, oh, something new. She's one of my teachers as well. She, we get together, um, we try to do it weekly, but sometimes life happens, and we all stuff, we practice speaking. Yeah. And so they see that genuineness in me, and they just regard me as one of them. So I'm very thankful because that opened the path in me to actually keep exploring. Otherwise, I probably have given up and be like, oh, I'm so fake about it. So, yes, um, through my show, I also do cooking shows. I mean, we, yeah. we make Korean food and, you know, sometimes do Korean karaoke and just, you know, answer questions that people might be curious about Korea or Nigeria or just about the podcast as whole. Well.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. No, no I you. I really thought that was uh, like a different take on it because okay. it's so unexpected, right? Yes, Um. Is. But I feel like that is you. <laughs> like, no, no, no. <laughs> <Speaking>
1: <laughs> Thank you, I am managed to think that, way. and you're you're right because I've been doing this many times, but I just didn't think I should do a live show about it because I get people together in my house to cook a lot, but just talk about stuff around my brown table. My brown table has seen so many people from many countries just come over, and then we talk about food. Yeah, kind of like the Anthony body, and I just don't have the budget to travel around the world.
0: <laughs> yeah, but there is beauty in it. There is. There is. Beauty. There is. Yes. There is
1: there is because you so okay. there's so many things you learn around the dinner table because you're so relaxed you know yeah exactly. and it's food you know and people just want to talk about stuff yeah
0: yeah oh my god yeah. so what's oh. your biggest um lesson learned out of these last few years doing the podcast um working doing your research learning korean but before I said that, like, you had asked me, you had asked me a question
1: about my show. Why I call it Nigerian, but like for blacks and Asians and those who love them. Well, blacks, because, you know, it's just the, uh, I think the correct term to talk about someone, that is of Nigerian descent, living in the US,
0: mm-hmm.
1: owning so that label as a black person. And then finally, I guess, <laughs> and then Asians, just for that, like a homage to my, um the Korean part of me, yeah. when I say Korean part of me, like the one that is just exploring the culture and learning the language. And just, you know, deeply vested in just how they have gotten to be one of the top giants in the world. And then, and those who love them. So there's a third category of people that I make the podcast for. Mm -hmm. And who doesn't like black black or Asian people? Like everybody, right? So it's Mm -hmm. a podcast for everybody. You can learn, you know, and like, you know, you said, my, the stories I share are real are from people who who are currently living these issues or they have gone through them and how they're able to just, you know, come back and or maybe just be bold about just what they've gone through. And I want to make the world a smaller place to remind us that there's so much more we have in common than what separates us. And if we don't tend to explore those, we might tend to start using labels to, like, you know, discriminate against people. And so that's the purpose of my show. It's just to show that we all have similar struggles sometimes. Yeah, we do. Yeah, but unless we, you know, get down together, or in this case, you know, connection over Zoom or be in the same room and talk about them, mm-hmm. we would not be none, we would be none the wiser about it. That's so true. now to, to your last question, I think for me is I think being intentional about what I do
0: mm.
1: and and finding out why I do what I do. And uh, I'm someone that I you don't tell me your ideas or don't tell me you have an idea and then you run away with it. it it's it's like, no, don't even get me started. Don't set me on fire and then want to country. You know, I'll rather, you know, tell me those ideas in the first place. I want to just get up and do stuff. That's mm-hmm. always me. And now I can see how I'm kind retiring of sometimes because yeah. like, I can easily exhaust you with, you know, let's go do that, let's go do that. Um, but I found that in, in, in being intentional, because when I set out to do this podcast, really, I had no idea what I was getting myself into.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you said, you, you, you're something you said earlier, like, you know, you do, you do the podcast 50% for you. And I think that applied to me as well. Yeah, I found a calling that is, you know, greater than and and it it's beyond me, and I find that really humbling to have a platform where people can come and say, yeah, I wanna, I trust you with my story. I don't take that for granted. Yeah, you know? exactly. I don't take that for granted that someone, like I mentioned, the case of a friend with schizophrenia, I, she, I was the first person outside of our family that knew about it, and she was willing to come on the show because she's seen just how vulnerable I have been about my own struggles. You know, we body emailed with pregnancy loss and infertility and things like that. Mm. So I don't, take, I don't take that for granted that people are so open and they want to. So I, I want to keep being intentional. I mean, there's some things. I haven't shared everything about myself, but I'm slowly trying to like show more sides to me. Of but course. The things I've shared so far, I didn't just share them because I want. I'm not even famous from sharing them because I wasn't the plan in the first place. Yeah. It was just to let people mm. know that this person you see in front of you, this person you think is great. There's so many things that I still struggle with. Hmm. And, and it's in despite of that greatness that I'm, in spite of those issues, that I'm still great, you know, you know that kind of thing. Just to see the, the humanity in me and just things that I go through as well. So that's one being intentional and also knowing why I do the things I do. So even in my um, job, so I, as a professor of pharmacy, I also do research in lupus and, and cancer.
0: Yeah. I
1: love what I do, but as on quality of life and, understanding the economic, clinical, and humanistic burden of having cancer and lupus. Wow. and So a lot of my personality you see on the show it still shines in my research because I get to talk to patients. I get to talk to survivors as to how we can keep doing research that can actually translate to improve their quality of life mm-hmm. and improve their health outcomes. So the way I'll interview someone of my guests is almost the same way i talk to my patients when I do That's patients. awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the commonality that is me because I genuinely do care about how to fix some things or how to even <laughs> understand some things better by listening to my patients and how we can keep developing policies or even research programs that can really, really, you know, affect their quality of life. So. I think those, those are like two top things I can think about. I'm gonna go to bed tonight banging my head because I didn't talk about something really. I didn't give you a smarter <laughs> response, but for now on a Monday evening, those that's the best you get out of me.
0: <laughs> ah, I appreciate it. No, that was so deep. And thank you. One thing I, I, I yeah, I appreciate a lot, and it, it is very humbling. People are trusting you with their stories, right? You're trusting that whatever I publish is gonna sound okay and not embarrass you or not Mm -hmm. throw you in a bad light and and protect you from whatever and vice Mm -hmm. versa right and and another thing as well is people really do want you to yeah just talk about everyday life for example when I first started because mine I started like six months ago I was more thinking of of doing it like about careers and showcasing different profiles sort of like how you talked about what you do right Mm -hmm. but I also found that people really just want to know like who are you like exactly. what drives you <laughs> something and, as simple as that person, you know <laughs> <Yeah>. yes, yes. <laughs> and understand yeah what what's your every what are your everyday problems how are you living your life because we are looking for it's really all about humanity we are looking that's for it. that commonality it. it's going back to the basic because people because i think the
1: way social media is right now and i'm not gonna bash social media because it's because of that way that we're here today and that's exactly. how i found you you know is that i think it's catered to a particular kind of optics like the good things yes, the good good mm-hmm. the hundred picture you took from the from a different angle but the same picture but a different pose but we want to know what's behind you like and that's why it, if you see the way my instagram has grown a lot as far as when i started i wasn't really comfortable sharing stuff but now i'm all about storytelling i'm all about you know just sticking like just guns like they just going straight to the point and talking about things that I'm going through or something that I read somewhere or bringing people or sharing stories so yes I have evolved to see that there's a need for people to be real again and mm-hmm. you know going to those days where we're photoshopping and you know polishing yeah. stuff you no know, let's be real again
0: yeah that's very true where do you see yourself in five years this question—I
1: don't know. My <laughs> listen,
0: my Questions. <laughs> I don't know. Um. So, if when
1: more listens to this in five years, yes. Um. I want my. I want two things. Two big things. I mean, apart from wishing the very best for all the people that love me and my families, and um. I want. I hope that one. My. I'll be tenured by then. Yes. And by God's grace, and then. Um. So basically expanding on my research. I used to recently got funded through the Department of Defense to do stuff for prostate cancer. So I wanna I want that to be to evolve into like a bigger, you know, funding, much even bigger yes. funding mechanism. Yes, thank you. So I wanna expand on my research and then for my podcast, I want that to grow more. I feel like there's still more black and still more Asians and there's still more people that love them that are yet to know what the more civil podcasts still yeah. are. So yeah. So I want visibility. Now I don't I'm not power-hungry. I'm not, like, fame-hungry. There's a, so, so many things I could do to get that five minutes of fame. But I don't want that flash-in-the-pan kind of thing, fame. I want to build a tribe. I want to build a community of people that can take what they see on the show and also replicate in their real lives. Yeah. It comes as a huge um, source of joy and reward to me when I have people tell me that, thank you for that, you shared in your show. Because of that, I've been able to improve on this area.
0: Yeah, been,
1: have that conversation with, for example, I talked about my dad. Um, I grew up not having a good relationship with my dad and that really affected me as a girl
0: mm. and so f-
1: and the first time I ever talked to my dad for more than five minutes was on a podcast episode I did with him when I went to visit him in Nigeria oh wow it was a raw moment and I shared all of that on the podcast and I had friends reach out to me like thank you because of you I will able to talk to my dad and let him know I forgive him you know so when people tell you things like that you're like even though I don't get, like, a lot of people turn, like, rate my podcast high or yeah. anything like that, but those deep qualitative feedback, yeah, it makes my day. So for anyone yeah. listening, let your podcaster know why you like that podcast. Go review them or just send them an email. You know, tell your friends about that podcast episode, you listen to that change your life. Because you have no idea. That's what keeps us going as podcasters.
0: Yeah, for sure. So yeah.
1: For, those of, for those of us that are not backed by, you know, Gimlet's media or those big studios, that we're just doing it because we want to really, you know, make a change out there, let yeah. us know about our podcast. So, yeah, I would hope that more people would get the right people are attracted to my podcast. And I hope it gets to grow and, you know, hopefully I can monetize it and make, you know, some money out of it. So, yeah, those are my Yeah,
0: thoughts. why not? You're offering value. So another thing is I worked for like a sales team for the past two, two, three years. And one yeah. thing I have learned from being part of like a sales team is that going? And I'm bringing this up because of how you're saying you want your podcast to grow and more people to be reached. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not about you being popular, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But it's more like, no, you want more people to hear about the stories, right? Because exactly. mm-hmm. you are highlighting great stories and you're talking about topics that are real. So the more people that it reaches, the better. And for it to reach that, those people, people, you do need to grow it. Whether people share it, people comments people do reviews people yeah. you know what i mean like whatever yes. we find to yes. extend your reach the better because then it will reach more people who do need to hear these messages that are being shared by the people you're talking to you know actually thank my god and i wish you so much Good luck and positive thank vibes, you. and thank like you with your so. research. And thank you. I'm so excited I met you. I'm like, <laughs> thank you and thanks for what I said
1: your name. I was like, wait, she's Rwandan. She speaks French. Lives in Canada. She's been to Germany. All right,
0: I need to know this person. because
1: yeah, your know, story just tells a lot of stories. Like I was like, no, we need to be friends on Instagram. I would take that conversation outside of Instagram here. Yeah.
0: For sure, for sure. I can't wait to continue it. Mm. Any last words for today?
1: I just want to say thank you. Um, and thank you for your platform as well. I think you having your platform in French mostly. I think that it has to a lot of. Especially from your perspective, as you know, as an African that you know has transferred those transverse those different cultures. I think it's a critical gap you're filling in the podcast world. So I want to say kudos to you and oh. thank you for. So you such your openness when you talk about stuff as well. And it's really, I don't take it for granted, like on a Monday evening, I was really, I I was looking forward to talking to you because it's such an honor to be on your show. And and so thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Thank you so much, Mo, for being with me, (laughs) for being honest, for being real and open and sharing everything about your life. And I really look forward to more conversations and collaboration and Thank you, know, you anything I can do to help you. I'm Thank down. you.
1: Thank you. you. Know. And same here, too. If you want to, like, I know we definitely will have, we'll think of ways to explore. And guys, please go check out my podcast. It's called the Marcible Podcast. It's on iTunes and Stitcher. It's on pretty much everywhere you can legally download podcasts. So, and I
0: like then, that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then you can eagerly download.
1: Eagerly <laughs> download podcast room. And yeah, I think, um, I think finally it will be today and moving forward. I think let's just stop, like, as much as possible, let's stop looking at countries that we've probably heard of in the news and looking at people from those countries and letting those general statements become the running themes when we see them. Like get to know people, like genuinely get to know people. Ask questions. Mm. I always say, like, rather than you just assuming, ask me questions. Now I might not be able to answer your question if I think it's really stupid, but at least I'll rather you ask it than just make declarative sentence. So the challenge for your listeners and even those that are not your listeners that stumbled upon this episode is, I feel like the world we're in danger of just losing that aspect of what makes what it means to be human. Yeah, and that's because we've We've let a lot of things bias our opinions about people, and I'm not excluding myself from narrative. I still have some things I have to learn and unlearn but i've always- i've seen that in exploring and and asking you're far at a um a better um chance you have a better chance of of being rewarded in this good way rather than you just being you know, potential. So I want to jump to about people's culture and all of that. So the cultural curiosity is always the way it's always the answer. And I think it's just the right answer to, to this world where everyone is just impatient and not nice and saying nasty things online. and I of that. So.
0: Yes. Thank you so much. For sure. You know, when you were commenting, I was, I was like, did you watch love is blind? <laughs>
1: <laughs> i started watching it but um i couldn't finish it sorry <laughs> no i couldn't finish it. oh my
0: god <laughs> I, I might cut this out i don't know yet but the reason i'm bringing up love is blind is yeah. the, there is this one couple mm-hmm. that,
1: is black, black and white
0: yeah lauren and yeah 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 the black and white couple lauren yeah. and cameron right and i think the reason why their story blew up so much mm-hmm. and why like everybody loves them Is because they're sort of the living proof of that. You look at the humanity of people who always find a connection point. We will find a way to coexist together. Exactly. For example, Lauren, she's a Black woman, right? Mm -hmm. She says it, she's never dated a white guy. But then on this show where she's getting to know somebody, for themselves without knowing if he's there white or whatever and they just connect deeply I guess on their values and how they see life and yadda yes. she ends up with a white guy there you go so you go. yeah so I felt that that was yeah that that kind of echoed what you were basically Uh, saying like let's just get to know each other on a humane level and and that will start healing the world a little bit i agree because you fall in love i
1: think with the soul right Mm -hmm, and soul has no color you know and i think for Laura, and i and i think well because i haven't finished i haven't i always i know i'm never going to pass the first episode because they blinded that and i think that kind of shows you that okay love can really be blind as far as you know missing somebody you don't see their color you don't see what they look like but there's something in them in you that is calling out you know to them and vice versa so
0: yeah yeah Yeah, for sure sure. Anyway, thank you 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 so much thank you you're welcome you're welcome what did you think of the conversation that you just heard don't hesitate to leave us comments on the facebook group or on the website jazaligmar.com As the old adage goes, sharing is caring. So if you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends, like, and subscribe. Until next time, keep striving, keep thriving, and keep shining.